intentional with his plans. Now, when I said that, you probably interpreted those words. Yes, God is intentional with his plans for me and for my life. Jeremiah 29, 11, God said, I know the plans I have for you. But let me just tell you, God has more plans than just plans for you. There is some stuff God wants to do. That's God's stuff. That's his own will and volition, his own purpose, his own idea for him. Not necessarily for you, for him. And the scripture says that our times are in God's hands. And that's significant. But God has times too that matter to him. And while he understands the seasons and times that are important to us, he expects us to understand the seasons and times that are important to him. And according to the scripture, God has three calendar appointments that he has made of his own purpose. God has three times in a year that are special to him, that are significant to him, that he expects us as believers to stop, to notice, to pay attention to, and to observe. In Leviticus 23, 2, God introduced these times to the family of mankind through Moses. He said, concerning the feasts of the Lord, he says, even these are my feasts. Now, erroneously, a lot of people believe that the feasts of the Lord are Jewish feasts. So uh, Rosh Hashanah began on Friday, the Feast of Trumpets. And uh, all over the news, people are talking about how the Jews are celebrating uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which begins with trumpets and Rosh Hashanah. But it's not a feast of the Jews. It's not a feast belonging to the people, and it's not for people. Understand, the feasts of the Lord, that word feast, it's a terrible translation. What it means in the actual Hebrew is the appointed times. That's what, I don't know how they got feast from that, but it's the appointed times of the Lord. And when God said to Moses, three times a year, I want you to call a holy convocation, and I want you to observe and honor my feast. They belong to me. They're my appointed times. They're special to me. God also let him know. And I want you to catch this thought. If you miss everything else I said, don't miss this. Because God said all the way back in the Old Testament, he's saying to Moses, my redemptive anchor points for all I'm going to do in the earth will be in the parentheses of these dates. If I'm going to do something redemptive in the world, it's going to happen during this space of time. And then we see from Old Testament all the way into New to Revelation, God doesn't do a thing as it pertains to redemption outside of those windows and parameters of dates that he called his appointed times or his feasts. Now, many of you know this. You've heard me possibly teach and preach it before. I'm commanded to. There's a commandment in the scriptures that says the Levites, which I consider myself one, are supposed to proclaim this feast forever. It never stops. And so the feasts of the Lord, the three appointed times are 
Passover, say it, Passover. And then we have Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And then we have Tabernacles in the fall of the year. Now that's it. All the work that God ever did that had to do with your salvation happened during those dates. And not a single thing happened outside of them as it pertains to your redemption. So God was cluing Moses in. Everything I'm going to do, Mo, this is the time in which I'm going to do it. The feasts of the Lord. Now, Passover is a prophetic promise in the Old Testament that the Lord saves. Say it with me. The Lord saves. So every lamb that died in ancient Egypt, when God said, if you apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost and the lintel during Passover, wherever I see the blood, I'll make death and judgment pass over you. But all of those lambs that died in Egypt were just prophesying. They were just speaking about the ultimate lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who 1,451 years later after the first Passover... 1,451 years later to the night, Jesus, the Lamb of God, died within the parenthesis of that date during the Passover. Absolutely astounding. And the promise, the prophecy, 1,400 years. Listen, Jesus was doing a lot on the cross, a lot of things happening. We could spend a lot of time, our time talking about it. But one of the things he was doing was fulfilling a prophecy 1,451 years in the making that God will save. The Lord will save. And all of us, whether you understand it or not, or you know the depths of it or not, all of us that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have experienced the work of what God did at Passover. By faith, the blood of Jesus was applied to your heart and your soul. By faith, you believed in the Lord Jesus, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You gave your life to him. You repented of your sins. You were saved and born again. And when destruction and death came, God made it pass over because the blood is applied to your heart by faith. So you have experienced Passover. Second feast of the year, Pentecost. After the Israelites were emancipated from the bondage of Egypt during the first Passover, they were a million and a half people with no constitution, no preamble, no set of laws to govern them as a nation. But 50 days after the Passover, God said, I'm going to fill you. I'm going to come down and I'm going to fill you. Pentecost prophesies the Lord fills. He's going to give you his truth. And so on Mount Sinai, after the first Passover in Egypt, God comes down in fire and smoke and in a cloud. And he fills Moses and the people with his law, the Ten Commandments. That happened on the day of Pentecost Right outside of Egypt, the first Passover, after the 50 days after the first Passover. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus Christ dies during the Passover. 50 days later, 120 believers are gathered in the upper room. God comes down again on the day of Pentecost. 
And this time doesn't fill them with the law of truth. He fills them with the Holy Spirit of truth. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you can't come to the Father unless you were drawn by the Spirit. This means at some level you have experienced Pentecost. You have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life at some degree. And isn't it amazing? 1,451 years didn't change the setup. God did what he did exactly when he said he would do it because his redemptive work is held within the anchor points of important dates. Not important dates to you, important dates to him. So Passover was a prophecy. Pentecost was a prophecy. Both were fulfilled in the New Testament by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then by the coming of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus sent. But the third feast of the year, the third appointed time that's significant and special to God, is the only one that has not been fulfilled. Third feast of the year is tabernacles. And tabernacles declares that the Lord returns. Now, In church and in organized religion, we major a lot on the Lord saves. I mean, that's a pretty important one. Anybody glad the Lord saves? (laughs) Uh, I just got to pause real quick. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. I'm serious. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. If it had not been for Jesus, where would I be? I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. The Lord saves. The Lord filled. I'm so glad that the Lord filled me. That's the next stanza of that song. But as big as right there, as important as the Lord saves and as important as the Lord fills is the understanding and the God expectation of your understanding to know the Lord's going to return. Your Christian life can not only be watered by salvation and not only be watered by the Holy Spirit, you're missing something on the inside. If you're not carrying around in your faith an expectation and an awareness that Jesus is coming back one day. This is what tabernacles declares to us. It's what the festival, the appointed time is all about. Now, tabernacles is one season. It lasts 21 days. There's many components to it. Friday, it started with festival of trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. It's a redemptive time. It's a time of renewal. That's why our Jewish brothers and sisters declare it to be their new year. Because it is a time where you go before the Lord in contemplation and in repentance and in prayer. And you celebrate God. And then you ask him for his favor and his mercy for the coming year. I encourage every one of you to do that. And then next week in the middle of the feast, there will be Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And then finally, the namesake of tabernacles, the ingathering. And 
this hasn't been fulfilled yet in scripture. Just like Passover was a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Pentecost was a prophecy the Holy Spirit fulfilled. This is a prophecy that has not been fulfilled because it will not until Jesus returns at his second coming. Trumpets starts the festivities off. First Thessalonians talks about it. Look at first Thessalonians chapter four, 13 through 16. Now here we're leaving the practical today. I know you love the practical life application. I'm going to read some of this stuff. This is God's stuff. This is him talking about what he's going to do. It needs to be digested by you. The apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Don't ignore this. He doesn't mean dumb there. He means ignoring of, dismissive of. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or people that have died. I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, hallelujah, I got to read it again. I just felt electricity hit the top of my head. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the... That scripture is as important to your Christian life as God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. On the balance scales, they're equal. In the importance of your faith, you must believe this. You must carry around in your faith as a Christian that your death is not the end. You must carry around in your faith as a Christian that when you bury a loved one, if they died in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will see them again. Definitely not in a dream world, but in a real world and a real reality. You must carry around in your faith that the cross of Jesus Christ and his suffering did not just purchase the redemption of your soul and of your spirit. It also purchased the redemption of your body. God's not even going to leave your body in this earth. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall be reconstituted. However you decayed, you're going to come back together and will rise first. And we're all going to be caught up together to meet God in the air. God God wants you to know this, to believe this, to love this, to feast on this, to carry this in your faith. Give him praise for it, even if you don't want to. Oh, yes. I want you to push three people and say, he's coming again. He's coming again. He is coming again. You didn't touch three. You just sat there and looked at me. Stop it. Touch three people say he's coming again.
That's why Paul said, I don't want you grieving when your loved ones die. Like everybody else in the earth grieves that don't know the Lord. If they died in the Lord, they got a guarantee and you do too. We shall all be together in the end. And sometimes grieving more than you ought and feeling an eternal loss like you'll never see your loved one again is actually the proof that you don't really believe what the Bible says about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. You will see them again. It also places an earnest fervor down in your spirit to make sure everybody you love believes in Jesus. Make sure everybody you love has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Make sure everybody that you love has invited Jesus into their heart and repented of their sins. The more you believe this, you'll start dragging your family. You'll start doing every single thing you can do to Make sure your family is saved. My grandmother got alienated from her family for years. They would not speak to her because she couldn't go to a family dinner without preaching to everybody, screaming at them. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Is your soul saved? If your life was required of you tonight, where would you go? It took her years to penetrate the hard crust of their callous sin-filled heart, but she did. Because she walked around believing this as a reality. That if you die without Jesus, I ain't going to see you. If you die without Jesus, that is death. If you die without Jesus, that is the final goodbye. If you die without Jesus, I won't ever hold you again. If you die without Jesus, I won't ever touch your face again. If you die without Jesus, I won't ever see you again. But if you die in Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost. Sit there if you want to. I'm going to have fun on my birthday. If you die in Jesus, I feel God in this place. Now, I said if you die in Jesus, you ought to tell your family. You ought to tell your kids. You ought to tell your cousin. You ought to tell your nieces and nephews. You ought to tell anybody that means anything to you. If you die in Jesus. We'll see you again. So tabernacles prophesize this. The Day of Atonement prophesies the time when God the judge opens the books and examines the lives and the lifestyles and the habits and the proclivities and all the particular brands of weakness and dysfunction that we have and then checks whether or not the blood that Jesus shed for our sins has been applied to your name. Revelation said it like this. Is your name written in the Lamb's 
book of life? Has what the lamb spent been applied to your debt? Has what the lamb paid for been applied to your name? Because it don't matter how filthy you've been, how dirty you've been, or how dirty you still are right now. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the lamb. And if the blood of the lamb has been applied to your heart. It don't matter what you did or who you did it with. You're saved and cleansed and washed and clean and set free by the blood. You ought to praise Him. Let all the sinners praise Him. Let all the guilty praise Him. Let all the backsliders praise Him. Let everything that has breath guilty praise. I need the guilty to praise him. I need the messed up people to praise him. I need the sinners to praise him. I need the broken people to praise him. I need the people that know they don't deserve the mercy. those who the breach has been removed from. It's what atonement means, at one meant, or at one again. Sin caused a breach between us and our creator, but Jesus' blood has brought at one meant, or atonement. Now, atonement won't be fully fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled on the cross. The work was done. It was finished, finished, but not fulfilled. When will it be fulfilled? When you see him face to face and the two that have been separated all this time come back at one. Are you carrying that around in your faith? That you're going to see Jesus with your real eyes one day. That you'll embrace him. That you'll touch him. That you'll see the scars in his hands and feet. That you'll put your hand in his side. You're going to see him at atonement. And then finally, in gathering. Celebrates when all believers of every culture, creed, and kind. That have ever died in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are all gathered together around his throne. And we watch as the elders, the 24 elders, take off their crowns and throw them at the feet of the Lamb. The scripture gives us this mysterious imagery and language to let us know it's going to happen. And if your faith isn't carrying these things, if your, if your faith isn't captured by these things, you're missing something on the inside because there's something about believing that 2000 years ago, 
a man you've never seen before who claimed to be God wrapped up in the flesh, had his hands pierced with nails and his feet and was hung on a cross and bled and died. But when you hear that preach, there's something mysterious and supernatural about it. It gets all down in your soul. It electrifies your life. And the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ will change you from the inside in the same way. In the same way, having targeted, directed, applied faith in the second coming of that Jesus. Also hearing that preach does something down on the inside of the soul. It, it does something on the inside of your, of your faith. Or I'll say it like this. It fills you with a extra oil. Jesus said in our text, in the end, it's going to be like this. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. It's going to be like 10 virgins who were waiting on the bridegroom. They were just sitting and waiting on his coming. And, and, and they all had lamps and, and they were all waiting together. And, and they went to sleep while they were waiting because it seemed like he was taking so long. You ever thought about the second coming of the Lord and you just wonder, God, why is it taking so? But the principle is God knew that a lot of his people would go to sleep. Before his coming. Now, when we examine the parable, there's some. There's some interesting things in it. The first thing that I want you to consider is the 10 virgin, they represented the whole. In the Bible, when you see 10, 10 is symbolic of the whole. Okay, The 10 virgins represented the whole bride of Christ. That's what the church is called in the apostolic age. The bride of Christ. Jesus, our bridegroom. And they're waiting. Second thing I want you to consider, they were all selected and elected. They had all been called and chosen. This wasn't some of the church, some of the world. This was the church, the whole church. They had been taught. They had been discipled. They had been trained. They'd learned how to pray. They'd learned their doctrine. This was the church called, chosen, elected, selected, told where to go, told where to wait. All had lamps and all had flames, fire on the inside. All waited for his coming, but then all went to sleep. Before you look down your nose at anybody, because of the weakness of the flesh, we all sleep sometimes. Some of us sleep while we're up walking around. Some of us sleep on our responsibilities. Some of us sleep on our moral discipline. Some of us 
sleep on the things that we should be doing. Some of us sleep. They all went to sleep. The only difference in the parable is five of them had had extra oil when the lamp runs out. Notice what happens when you go to sleep, Christian. What happens when you go to sleep? The lamp runs out. Fact of the matter is, the bridegroom took so long and he was delayed so long that uh, whether they slept or stayed awake, the oil was still going to run out. It amazes me how many Christians live their lives as if your oil ain't ever going to. run out. We must ask ourselves the question in the text to be revelatory. What is the oil? Is it the Holy Spirit? No, because later in the text, they said you ran out, go buy some and you can't go buy. The oil in the text is the inward fuel that keeps your fire of faith burning. And there's a lot of Christians who've been called, chosen, elected, selected, and they started with a flame. But the fire went out long time ago. Happens to the best of us, you know. Your fire will go out. Talk in tongues three hours a day. I promise you at some point in life, if you keep living your fire, it will go out. It's the nature of life. It's the nature of humanity. Your fire will go. How's, how's your fire? The inward flame of your belief system. The inward flame of your relationship with God, your faith, your most holy faith, that thing down on the inside of you. How's it doing? Are you here because maybe you feel like you're supposed to be? Are you here but not here? When is the last time you were upended on the inside and electrified by the truths of the word of your God? When was the last time tears poured out of your soul down your tear ducts thinking about the concepts and the beauty and the things of our Lord and our Savior? Or are you cold? Knowledgeable, but cold. Know when to say amen, and I'm grateful for the people that do, because Lord have mercy. Some folks drive you crazy, but, but know when to lift a hand. Know the lyrics to the song. Know when to stand and sit your tail down. But the fire went out because you ran out of oil. Now, in the text, 
the responsibility for tending to the oil was not on God, nor was it on the bridegroom, nor was it on the neighbors who were sitting next to him in the church waiting on the master to come. The responsibility of getting the oil wasn't on their priest or their pastor or their shepherd or their spiritual father. The responsibility for getting the oil was placed directly back on the individual who had failed to tend to it. See, as Christians, we take turns. Different seasons, different times in our life running out of oil. I don't care what anybody says. You have, every person in this room at some point, you have run out of oil and your fire has gone out. Now, under normal circumstances, you do what the wise virgins, you do what they told the foolish ones to do. Just run down there and buy you some more. In other words, go pay the price to get yourself stocked back up. Because the fact that you're not stocked up is nobody's fault but yourself. Don't ask me for mine. If I give you mine, I'll be in the same situation that you are in. I can't give you mine, but I can tell you how to go get your own. Go buy some. Go pay your own price. And that's what we do. Those of us that are mature, those of us that aren't content to just backslide and totally fall away from the faith, when we notice we're out, we go and do what Jesus said. Do our first works again. Fall back in love with our first love again. Repent again. Go back to the altar again. Go do the things that we started with again. But what happened to these five foolish ones was before they had an opportunity to go do all of that, stock themselves back up again while they were on the way trying to get back on the right path. While they were on the way trying to get restored back into the fold. While they were on the way deciding what they were going to do with their lack of oil in their life. While they were on the way trying to figure out if they wanted it bad enough or not. While they were out, the bridegroom came. And Jesus is trying to clue you in. He's trying to let you know there's going to be a lot of people in that day that know what to do, that have been taught, preached to, prayed for, discipled, that have been led well, called, elected, chosen, and put in the room. I'm coming. And yet, when he comes, because you didn't tend to your own oil, He'll come when you're not in the room. 
How did the apostles say? How did Jesus say? Like a thief. In the night. You know when most thieves come? They come when you ain't home. You had an errand to run. You had something you needed to go get because you weren't stocked in the house. While you were away. That's what tabernacles is about. What made these five wise girls think I better pack some extra? And I will submit to you, bit of a stretch, throw something at me. I will submit to you because in the chapter before Jesus is talking about the end. He's talking about hell. He's talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he had just poured out water on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and said, if there's any thirsty among you, let him come to me and drink. I think this parable was just giving you a little bit of insight that that if you carry these feasts with you in your faith, it's like carrying an extra flagon of oil for your lamp. That there's something about rehearsing Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. No matter how many times you've heard it, there's something about going through it all again. Passover, the Lord has saved. I'm saved not because of what I've done or haven't done. I'm saved by the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Something about I'm filled at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit of God. God lives in me and his spirit is the earnest on the purchase possession, which is in my body, which will ultimately be God's. There's something about rehearsing that. There's something about rehearsing tabernacles. The God who saved me and the God who filled me is also coming back one day for me. And I will be with the Lord forever. There's something about three times a year. There's something about three times a year showing up in the presence of God, acknowledging the feast, observing the feast, honoring the feast, doing something special during the feast, sowing a seed during the feast. There's something about it that a lot of Christians don't do. I don't know, maybe five out of ten. But if you do, I, I bet you'll be carrying a little, a little extra oil. That when life hits you and the enemy hits you and your faith is up under attack and Satan comes with that sandpaper, sandpaper like the prophet said to wear down the saints. That, that when you've lost all you had on the inside, here come that season. 
and it washes all over you again. Here come that tabernacles. Here come that Passover. Here come that Pentecost. And just it just washes all over you again. Constantly refilling your supply to keep the fire burning. Can you lose your salvation? If Jesus paid it all, if we are not saved by works, but by grace, lest any man should boast. Is it then possible for a person once saved to lose their salvation? Here's the question. Can you lose your faith? The thing that holds your salvation is your faith in what Jesus did on Calvary. You know, there's a real popular movement right now called deconstruction, where people are completely unraveling their faith. People are completely breaking it down, stepping out of it, getting out of it. If you think you can deny the Lord at 45 and then die and go to heaven because you accepted him way back when you were 15, you got another thing coming. Your salvation is active as long as your faith in it is. We must have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The word please in the Greek means access. Everything in the kingdom of God is done through and by faith. God said it. It hits you and you believe it and receive it. So no, you can't lose your salvation over that silly pet sin you have. But over time, as the enemy works in your life through various doors that a lot of them you open, these things have an eroding, corroding effect on your faith. And it is through your faith. It is through your faith that you possess. It is through your faith that you lay hold of. It is through your faith you access what Jesus did. Like the woman with the issue of blood. Crawling through a crowd so weak and emaciated she couldn't stand. She reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment. She was healed. And everybody wanted to know what did it. Was it the garment? Was it the power of Jesus? Was it the power of the Son of Man, God in the flesh? Was it that? Jesus said, no. Woman, your faith. So don't lose your faith. How, pastor? Take the oil of these feasts. Take the oil of the understanding of what God did during the times that were important to him. Take it with you. And when everything else runs out, you can pour the oil of the feast back in. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise all over the house this morning.